You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. I want you to open your Bibles that you brought with you. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible that's there in the pew. And that Bible is not just for you to use today. If you need a Bible, if you have someone in your life who needs a Bible, you can take that today as our free gift. So open up your Bible, the Bible that's in the pew, or if you're techie and you want to use your phone or your tablet, open up to the YouVersion Bible app to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And while you're finding it, it is crazy to think that exactly one week ago, we huddled together to prepare for Christmas Eve. Seven days later, right? And let's be honest, maybe not in here, but out there, Christmas is over for most of us. Technically, it may only be number seven on the celebrated 12 days of Christmas, but we've moved on. Seven swans may be swimming, but our trees have started to come down, either pitched outdoors for pickup or stored in dark attics or in the back of garages until December. The lights may be still on around our houses, the outside of our houses, but if you haven't noticed, inside all the local stores, the Valentine's Day decorations are going up, and all the holiday candy is 50% off. We're already looking ahead to 2018, and it's not even here yet. Tonight and tomorrow are our last hurrahs. Before the vacation is over, families come home, and school starts back up again. Soon, I know, I know. Soon it will be life as usual with a lot of gray January, though it seems to have come a little early, (laughs) and plenty of wet, rainy winter still to come. I know, what a depressing opening, man. I had to rewrite this. (laughs) I bring all this up (laughs) because as you open up to Luke chapter 2, and I hope you found it by now, and you're at verse 21, you'll see that it's a week later for Mary, Joseph, and their son as well. The shepherds have come and gone. The wise men are still on the way. But life has moved on for them past that holy night. It's eight days later, and in observance of the covenant made with their ancestor Abraham, Mary and Joseph have their child circumcised. And per Jewish tradition, it's on this day they give their son his name, the name told to them by the angel before he was conceived in the womb, the name of Jesus. And then if you're still looking at that verse, verse 21, you go to verse 22, and in a single verse, Luke takes us on a time jump of a little over a month. It's now 40 days after Jesus' birthday. Mary, Joseph, and the baby have traveled to Jerusalem, and again, they are as a family abiding by the customs of their faith. But as they do so, little do they know, they are also about to encounter a man who has been waiting his whole life for them, especially their son. Let us read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Mary and Joseph have come to Jerusalem, we're told, in the observance of the purification law. And if we're not familiar with this, need a little catching up. According to Leviticus chapter 12, after the birth of a child, a woman had to observe a period of physical separation from the sanctuary, the temple. After the specifically de- specific designated number of days, the mother was to come to the temple with an offering, which the priest would exercise as a sacrifice to effect her purification for re-entry into the sanctuary. The law stipulated that the offering was to be of a pure lamb, with the exception being if one could not afford a sheep, two turtle doves or two pigeons would suffice instead. But the purification law is not the only reason Mary and Joseph come all this way to Jerusalem. Luke tells us that. In addition, we are told they are seeking to present their child to the Lord, to dedicate their son to God. And the origins of this practice go even farther back, centuries earlier, to the time when Israel came out of Egypt at the time of the Exodus. You will recall what finally compelled Pharaoh to let God's people go, the final plague, a devastating one. All throughout Egypt, In every home, the firstborn sons were going to die. However, through the blood of the lamb, painted on the door frames of their houses, the sacrifice of a pure, unblemished lamb, the Israelite homes were spared. They were passed over. Their firstborn sons lived. So that future generations would always remember how their lives were spared. Moses outlines in the book of Exodus how every firstborn male, whether human or animal, was to be set apart for the Lord's service. And the symbolism behind this action was intended to reinforce how all of Israel belonged to the Lord. Ceremonially setting apart the firstborn sons reflected not just how they, but how each and every Israelite was to be dedicated to representing and honoring Yahweh. And so, like every other set of Jewish parents, Mary and Joseph present their firstborn son for the Lord's service. The interesting thing in this case is, is that what they are doing, dedicating Jesus to the Lord's service, once he's grown into a man, this will be the hallmark, one of the hallmarks of his life, right? That he will be completely and singularly dedicated to doing his Father's will. This will be the answer. Notice later on that Jesus will repeatedly give when the teachings and actions of his ministry are questioned. I am about my Father's business. I do what the Father tells me. I am about doing my Father's will. From the very beginning... Luke portrays Jesus as being the firstborn son of Israel, the one who redeems not only his people, but all creation itself, the great high priest who will offer up the perfect once and for all sacrifice by becoming the lamb of God, 
who takes away the sins of the world. So picture this scene for a moment, giving you this background. Picture, if you can, in your mind, the city of Jerusalem filled, as it always is, with people. Particularly, think about in and around the temple, the lots of comings and goings on that take place on any given day. Priests going about their business, pilgrims or travelers making homage to the sacred site, worshipers uh, offering, making an offering or another act required by the law of Moses. Residents of the city just hanging around where all the action is, like people do. And in the midst of all of this, an average salt of the earth couple from out of town like Mary and Joseph, arrive on the scene. And it would have been no big deal. Nothing out of the ordinary. Nobody would have paid any particular notice. And as for the son that they're carrying, as for Jesus, remember, he's still a newborn baby. 40 days old, a little less than a month and a half of life under his belt, but he's still just an infant. Picture a baby, 40 days old. I mean, the Messiah is still in the house, The long-awaited, long-promised Savior of the world was right there in the heart of the city, but how could anyone possibly recognize him? I mean, it wasn't like his tiny little body was glowing, you know? (laughs) There was no halo floating above his head to mark him out as special. And, And Jesus, from beginning to end, never looked like the picture in the catalog of heroes, the one for which everyone had hoped. He looked nothing like a warrior or a politician or a king, nothing like an action figure. Picture wrapped tightly in a blanket, the eternal Son of God looked just like your run of the mill, helpless, leaky, burpy Jewish baby boy. Born to a family so poor, all they could afford to offer was the minimum temple sacrifice of two turtle doves or two pigeons. Anyone would have been hard pressed to recognize in this child the fully divine Messiah sent from heaven who had fully taken on our humanity. Except, as Luke tells us, on this day, two people could. One was a man named Simeon, who we heard about. The second, we didn't keep reading. The other was a woman named Anna. And from the way Luke tells it, it appears Anna's recognition of Mary and Joseph's son as the Redeemer of Israel was due to the fact she was there the moment Simeon began to sing and declare his acknowledgement of Jesus as the Messiah. And because of that, we're going to focus just on Simeon today. I want to highlight a couple of observations about Simeon from this story and through them offer some points of reflection for us. What we're told by Luke is that Simeon was a man who had been waiting a long time for something very specific, the consolation of Israel. In other words, Simeon's wish, his one wish, was for the redemption of his people. Simeon had been expectantly anticipating the fulfillment of Israel's stated purpose as a people and a nation, for Israel to become the salvation of all nations. Simeon had been waiting and looking for the sign of the kingdom, the reign of God in and for this world. That's what Simeon was waiting for. But today I ask us, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? As the year 2017 fades and all the possibility of 2018 rises, what are you hoping for, looking forward to in this new year? Is it that next vacation? Is it graduating? Is it landing that new job, that first job? Is it getting that promotion finally at work? Is it becoming engaged or getting married? 
Is it maybe having a child or a grandchild? What are you waiting for? The waiting room of life. <laughs> we sense it. Yeah, if you've ever been in the waiting room of life, right? You sense, you just know a breakthrough is coming, but what? When? The waiting room of life, we've all been there. Simeon's been there too. He has his wish list item also. The consolation of Israel. But here's the thing. You look closely, you listen carefully. Simeon wasn't waiting for something as much as Simeon was waiting on someone. Simeon wasn't waiting for something. Simeon was waiting upon the Lord. Now we might say, well, of course Simeon was waiting on the Lord. After all, what he wanted, the consolation of Israel depended on God. But then again, by this time, after 400 years, it's been 400 years of perceived silence from heaven, lots of people were starting to look for the same thing Simeon was wishing for in other ways. This is a time when various factions of Israelites rise up looking for the consolation of Israel. You got your Sadducees, your Pharisees, your Essenes, your Zealots. All of these different groups who looked for different means and ways of achieving the consolation of Israel. And for some of these groups, what they tried to do involved forcing God's hand, getting God to finally act. For other groups, it had nothing to do with the Lord at all. But Simeon stands apart, Luke tells us, because Simeon, we are told, was both devout and righteous. This is important. The word devout comes from a Greek word which means careful. As in being careful to do everything according to the will and work of God. In other words, Simeon was engaging in the daily habits of his faith. He worshiped regularly at the temple. He prayed every day. He studied the scriptures. And the word devout paired with the word righteous here in describing Simeon further extends this understanding of his character. Simeon, you see, wasn't just religiously observant. He didn't just dutifully comply with the traditions and practices of his faith. He didn't just pay lip service to God. Simeon was righteous, meaning he lived rightly, meaning Simeon put his money where his mouth was. Simeon walked the talk. Simeon didn't practice a religion. He engaged in a relationship, a relationship with the living God. How he lived, in other words, reflected not what he was waiting for. How he lived reflected who he was waiting upon. Simeon engaged and treated others out of the heart of his beliefs about God and the Lord's character. I single this out because it makes me reflect. And so I ask us, beloved, is your life being driven by what you are waiting for? Is your life being driven by what you are waiting for? Or do you live, face and engage each day, waiting upon the one who gives us each breath we take? the one who is our hope and our salvation. We all have our wish lists. Coming up with things to wish for isn't hard. The question is, are we looking to God in terms of what we wish for? Is what we're wishing for something that we're trying to fulfill on our own, you know? Out of our own initiative, out of our own effort, out of our own strength. What I'm asking is, where is God in the midst of all your hopes and dreams? Have you ever, are you willing to place your desire, whatever it is, in the Lord's hands? If we believe all good things come from God, why would we do anything less? See, the thing is, wishing and waiting, both those things, wishing and waiting, they take energy and demand our focus, don't they? 
We give ourselves, we give our time and our attention to whatever we're wishing or waiting for. And that means that wishing and waiting are postures of worship. Wishing and waiting are postures of worship. And that means that whatever we wish for or wait for apart from God, without being centered in the Lord, can become an idol. Something that may be good, but can become false because it rivals or replaces our heart for God. Just like Simeon, the practices of our faith are the means by which we submit our desires and wait upon the Lord. If we want to make sure that our desires belong to God, that we're waiting upon the Lord, the practices of our faith are how we do that, just like Simeon. And so I ask you, have you prayed to the Lord about what you're wishing for? And I don't mean praying like as an afterthought, you know, like doing the sign of the cross is like a, just a covering. You know, you've gone to wishing it and then you just go, and as an add-on footnote, Lord, this would be great if. Have you prayed to the Lord? Have you placed the desire of your heart in the Lord's hands? Have you been reading? Are you chewing on the word of God given to you in light of the desire of your heart? Or are you living a fractured life where on the one hand God is speaking to you, but you're not letting those words speak into the very things that are shaping the wishes and desires of your heart? Do you see how backwards that is? Are you regularly bringing what you wish for, what you're hoping for, what you're waiting for into the context of this, of worshiping the Lord, laying it before the altar, letting it come out in your voice through song? Just like Simeon, the practices of our faith are the means by which we submit our desires and not get caught up so much waiting on something, but waiting upon the Lord. And just like Simeon, we are righteous when we live what we believe about God through how we treat others. We live rightly when we trust the Lord with the desires of our heart. When we trust the Lord with the desires of our heart in the midst of the particular situations and specific people we encounter in everyday life. To wait upon the Lord is to seek, to lean, to depend upon Christ are you seeking? Are you leaning? Are you depending upon Christ for the things that you're waiting for, the things that you're wishing for? Or are you looking for? Are you demanding upon or perhaps even using others to fulfill what you're wishing for, to fulfill what you want, to fulfill what you're waiting for? It's a subtle but significant difference. Because here's the thing. Have we ever even stepped back and asked if what we're wishing for, what we're waiting for, is what the Lord wants for us. Desires for us to have. Desires for us to become, to dedicate our lives towards. And for many of us, that's again an afterthought. Isn't that the place that we should start? Because there's sometimes there are things that we're waiting for. Sometimes there are things that we're wishing for. There are sometimes things that we want that God doesn't want for us. That God isn't calling us to. Have you ever even started there and asked, Lord, what do you wish for me? Lord, what do you want for my life? Lord, what are you calling me to? Life is completely different when we start there versus end there. Have you looked for, have you asked for that kind of direction, that kind of affirmation from the Lord? And I ask this because Simeon clearly did. And we know this, I say this, that Simeon looked to the Lord in the midst of his desire for the consolation of Israel, he waited upon him. He looked for affirmation of that wish. We know this because Luke tells us he received the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Now that's something we might normally just gloss over, but stop for a second. Remember where we are in the story. Simeon received the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord came to rest upon him. This is distinctive. This is rare. Remember where we are in the story. This is before the gift of Pentecost. God has not put his spirit upon all of his people. The Spirit, Holy Spirit doesn't just come on anybody. This is significant. This is Luke's way of telling us God affirmed Simeon's wish by giving him both the peace and assurance of the presence of the Spirit, but with that, the voice of the Spirit telling him that he would not die until he physically saw the fulfillment of all the promises and prophecies made to Israel. And now picture this scene. How many days, how many days did Simeon get up and go to the temple, you know? Is today the day? Is this it? How many times did Simeon look around and just wait for the prompting of the Holy Spirit as couples would come in, as just looking, who didn't even know what to look for, but just keeping his eyes open. And today is the day. Simeon comes into the temple as he probably often did, but today the Holy Spirit speaks and says, there, them, that's it. And as Mary and Joseph arrive in the temple with baby Jesus, the Holy Spirit leads and directs Simeon to them and he grabs this baby in his arms and his lifelong wish is fulfilled. His ultimate desire is satisfied. Waiting isn't easy. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Waiting isn't easy. It's hard to wait. It's hard, especially these days when we're not used to waiting for pretty much anything. We can easily grow tired and weary or worse, distracted and led astray. And that so easily can happen if we're waiting for something rather than waiting upon someone waiting upon the Lord. You see, because when we wait upon the Lord, rather than fixate upon whatever we're wishing for, our desires do not become our idols. When we look to the Lord for the desires of our heart, we receive affirmation or clarification in terms of what we're waiting for, whether our focus, our attention, and our energy are where they belong. What are you wishing for and hoping for? Is it what God is wishing and hoping for you? There's just one more thing worth noticing about Simeon. And it's this. All he ever got to see was the baby. All he ever got to see was the baby. Yes, Luke tells us, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, Simeon perceived the general contours of all that would happen through this child. Once grown, Simeon perceived how this child would represent his people and represent God. Simeon perceived how this child become man would lift up the lowly and challenge the powerful. Simeon perceived how the inner thoughts of many would be revealed, the sin and brokenness of their lives exposed, and for many, their inner lives would be healed by his grace and love, whereas for others, they would deny such exposure and reject this sign of healing and forgiveness. Simeon perceived all these things about Jesus but all he ever got to see and experience was the baby think about this Simeon would never be there to see Jesus perform any miracles Simeon would not be there to hear Jesus teach or explain the scriptures. Simeon would not be there to experience Jesus' compassion for the poor, his defense of the forsaken, or the full extent of his love for all people, even those that opposed him as revealed through the cross. Simeon would not be there to learn of an empty tomb and a resurrected Christ who defeated death once and for all. Simeon would not live to see who Jesus would become and all that would happen to him for us. All Simeon had 
was the chance to hold the baby. To look into the face of the salvation of his people and of the world. All Simeon had was the knowledge, but not the experience of how God was doing a new thing. Something long promised, but in no way expected. All Simeon had was a foretaste of an eternity not yet realized, but still to come. But it was enough for Simeon. It was enough for Simeon. Enough for Simeon to look toward his future with a song on his lips and joy and contentment in his heart. You know, we tend to think of this time of year of Christmas and New Year's as a time for wishing, of making lists about what we want, what we desire to see happen in the future, our future. But the truth about this time of year is it's really a time for us to remember all of our wishes the very best we could possibly hope for has already come true in Jesus Christ. Salvation is ours. Forgiveness is ours. Redemption is ours. Reconciliation is ours. Healing is ours. Grace is ours. Unconditional love is ours. Tomorrow is ours. This season isn't about wishing. This season is about celebration. Celebrating the gift we have already been given, the one who is eternally ours in Christ. But is it enough? Is it enough for us? Is God with you and for you enough? Is Jesus, the cross and the resurrection, enough? Is Pentecost, the gift of the inspiration and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, enough? And let's push it even further. This is a time when we often reflect, and if you haven't done it already today, take this moment now as the turning of the new year is upon us. Think back over your life. And don't just think back over this year, this past year. Think about your entire life in this moment. What have been those times and places, those moments where the tender compassion of Jesus came close enough to you to see and feel? Who? Who are the people? Can you remember their names? Can you see their faces? Who are the people in your life through whom the Holy Spirit has touched and shaped you? When have you known our Father's presence in some loss or sadness, some moment of joy or wonder? Where has God been there for you? Is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough for you to stop worrying? Is it enough for you to live boldly? Is it enough for you to be at peace with yourself? To be at peace with others, those around you? To be at peace with the future that lies before you? My friends, in this world of suffering, of evil and violence, there are times when we have little more than Simeon had. But what we do have, what we have been given, is enough. It's enough to go on. It's enough to believe. We may hunger and thirst for more, and this is fine. But we can and we must also be grateful for what we have. In small, ordinary, everyday ways. 
at big turning points in our lives. In times of our loss or crisis, we have seen, we have all experienced the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not always when or how we wanted to, but the Lord has been there for us. Jesus has shown up. The Spirit has directed and guided us. We have been given enough to know, to believe, to trust, no matter what the future may hold. And clearly, it was more than enough for Simeon. And I say this, that it was more than enough for Simeon because it's evidenced by the opening line of his joyous song. Do you remember it? Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Did you listen carefully? In other words, Simeon is prepared to die. Simeon is prepared to die. And I was talking about this with someone like, well, yeah, of course Simeon's prepared to die. He's an old guy. He probably can't wait to die. <laughs> open your Bibles if they're not open and tell me where it says Simeon was old. Find the word that says Simeon was old. You won't find it. Simeon isn't prepared to die because he's run a good, good course. He's kind of getting on in years. He's like, all right, I'm done. Simeon isn't prepared to die because of his age. Simeon is prepared to die because God in Christ, salvation through Jesus is enough for him. And let's also be clear that Simeon being prepared to die isn't the same thing as saying Simeon wanted to die. Simeon doesn't say, I want to die. Simeon declares he is at peace with facing death. He is at peace because he is held in his arms. He has touched and he has seen the grave's conqueror. Death ain't got nothing on Simeon because Jesus has come to claim all of Simeon and Jesus has come to claim all of you and me. Are we prepared to die? It's a big question. Are we prepared to die? And again, I'm not asking us, any of us, if we want to die because of course we all want to live. Life is precious and we ought not take it for granted. When I ask you, are you prepared to die? What I'm getting at is this. Once you're ready to die, then you're ready to truly live. Once you're ready to die, then you're ready to truly live. When we realize God is working in and through our lives in Christ is enough. We can stop living like we're running from death, living out of fear. Is that how you're living? Are you living trying to run from death? Are you living out of fear? You don't have to live that way. When we wait upon the one in whom our destiny and salvation are promised and secure, we can live with a confidence and a peace nothing in the world can give. We can start facing each day without fear, Unafraid of what's next, because death in all its forms, whatever form death takes, relational, mental, emotional, spiritual, even physical, has got nothing on us. When we know and wait upon the one who is with us and for us, we can take the risk of truly and fully loving people. The risk of truly and fully loving people. Truly 
fully and fully loving the people God puts around us. And tell me tell you something, truly and fully loving the people God puts around us is always a risky proposition. Because it means accepting and giving to those who are different from us. It means forgiving those who have hurt us. It means serving others at the point of their need, not ours, without condition or expectation. But we can do it. We can do it because God has set us free in Christ, giving us a lasting peace and a sure salvation that are strong enough to live on and to love on. When we trust that there is always a tomorrow when we follow Jesus, we can make the journey ahead no matter what the obstacles are before us. We may hit a few roadblocks. We may encounter some detours. We may even hit a wall, a wall as foreboding as a tombstone, the grave. But eventually, we will break through. Ultimately, we will move on. We will be resurrected. We have an eternity to explore, to create, to love, to laugh, to live. Once you're ready to die, you can truly live. Are you ready to truly start to live? How's that for a New Year's resolution? In Simeon, we meet a man who narrowed all his wishes down to one. Not just any one thing, but to one person, his God, our God in Jesus Christ. Encountering Jesus, knowing Christ was enough for Simeon to confidently face the future and to one day die in peace. Out of that confidence, out of that peace, born of a relationship, Simeon's life became a song, a lyric of thanksgiving and praise that he shared with everyone in earshot. And more than 2,000 years later, the joy and hope in Simeon's voice continues to reverberate, to echo in our lives and elicit our attention. As a new year is about to dawn, what are we wishing and hoping for? We all have many lists of different things we want, we want to have, we want to do, we want to accomplish. And we all know that some of the lists we create end up, despite our best efforts, unfinished. Not every wish upon a star comes true. But the one who was born under a promised star is the fulfillment of our greatest wish. Our greatest wish for ourselves. Our greatest wish for each other. Our greatest wish for this big, beautiful, and broken world we inhabit together. Real contentment in life comes from knowing who we are waiting upon and knowing that our waiting is not in vain. Through the practices of our faith and engaging the presence, the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit who rests upon us, we can and we will see the wishes and dreams that God has for us come true, just like they did for Simeon. Despite all appearances, the future remains forever bright because sin, evil, and death exist on borrowed time because our faith, hope, and love in Christ are eternal. Knowing this, trusting this, waiting upon him who is able to do more than we could ever imagine or hope for, may we, like Simeon, find peace. The peace to embrace this life we are blessed to experience each and every day. The peace to face death whenever it comes for us.
and the everlasting peace that waits for us beyond tomorrow. Happy New Year indeed. Amen.